Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network. New shows every day. Find us at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. Folks, if you'd like a copy of Tales with TR, Fights, Film, and Folklore, head on over to flankerpress.com. If you'd like a personalized copy of Tales with TR, Fights, Film, and Folklore for $25 plus shipping, along with a 5x7 signed, email terryryan2020 at gmail.com. That's terryryan2020 at gmail.com, and I'll get you out a signed book and picture ASAP. It's playoff time. That means bigger stakes and bigger promotions. Every day of the basketball playoffs, DraftKings will have $20,000 in total cash prizes up for grabs. The best part? It's free to get your shot at these daily cash prizes. DraftKings will be offering two free-to-play pools every day of the NBA playoffs, offering players a free shot at $20,000 in total prizes. DraftKings free-to-play pools are easy to enter. Just download the DraftKings app, go to pools, and choose from a wide variety of free contests for an opportunity to win cash prizes. Download the top-rated DraftKings app now and use promo code THPN when you sign up to get your free shot at $20,000 in total prizes every day of the basketball playoffs. Head to DraftKings pool page to get your shot at huge cash prizes. That's promo code THPN for a limited time only at DraftKings. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to episode 55 of Tales with TR. I'm your host, T. 
Terry Ryan. Oh, not much to talk about in the hockey world if you're Canadian. What what, what should I start with? <laughs> oh, God, I feel bad for the, all the Leafs fans. I, and I know I took them. Um, like I said, a lot of that this year was due to my buddy Dave Rope, Rope Dog Roper. But, you know, <clears throat> I do feel... Um, for them, I do. <laughs> and fans, uh, you know, if Montreal wins, I'm never going to be upset. Uh, plus, this year, I like what Montreal has done. I know Toronto tried to get a little tougher, but uh, more gritty, let's say. But so did the Habs. And uh, in previous years, uh, Montreal has kind of gotten a bit of shit from it not being tough enough. And, and I thought it was ironic that they this particular year I thought Price was a big story I didn't think he stole it for them though. I thought Montreal played a little bit grittier and say what you want um, it's tough it's a tough pill to swallow if you're a Leafs fan because of the contracts and the lack of production right from the big guys but like Shanahan said today Hope everybody's doing all right, by the way. I just, I said I wasn't going to talk about this and I launched right into it. But uh, yeah, I, and, and I don't even know where to go with it. It's been analyzed, it's been talked about. Um, and like Brett and Shannon, I mean, and, and Dubas, I mean, they, they, I mean, it, 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 like I said, it's a hard pill to swallow, but they answered all the questions. And after they did, I got thinking. I'm like, you know, I, I, I can't go back and not say that I agreed. With, I thought Dubas made some good moves. I really did. And if I was a Leafs fan, I think my first reaction, which probably would be an overreaction, would be, you know, blow it up. But it's just a tough pill to swallow. But. You know, you you just have to do it sometimes. I mean, I, it took other teams, Chicago, Pittsburgh, Washington, you know, with, it took them years. The hardest thing if you're a Leafs fan is that they hadn't won a round, right? Well, something that I don't think people are talking about enough is that the Habs played well. And I think the Habs, first, well, let, let's just continue on here. So the, the, the the Habs are better than they've been, and I think Bergevin had the playoffs in mind. I mean, he had to when he's picking up guys like Stalin Perry, right? Why would you even do that? Whereas in recent, let's say past years, they haven't gone as all in on some older guys that, that can still play, that want to win. But I mean, say what you want. Corey Perry can play, man. And a regular season can be really monotonous, but it's normally 82 games. These guys didn't play that, right? They played 50-odd. But, and I mean, I don't think, heaven forbid I say this, I don't think Thornton and Spencer were the problem in, in Toronto. So, you know, if, if especially not Spezza, I guess you could make the argument for Thornton. I mean, I wanted him to do well. I, he was fourth line, I, you know, Byron was on <clears throat> Hab's fourth line. He, 
although spectacular. That was a nice goal. You know, that was a big game changing goal Byron scored, but I think Thornton had one. Spezza was was fairly consistent for the ice time he got. Um yeah, it's tough because you've got to believe in those guys. Losing to Rara is hurt, but if you're a Leafs fan and if you judge the series like I did, I just thought they had more depth. I mean, I think those exact words came out of my mouth. I said, you know, they could miss their top two players no matter who you think they are, and they could still whip the Habs. Um, and I think most people did think it wouldn't be so shocking uh but in saying that i really do now i'm i'm saying all this before the hab series starts the the game starts here in a few hours i'm recording this on wednesday um they could be down three to nothing here against winnipeg i, I don't know i think winnipeg's gonna win that but again you know i I don't think it's going to be as much of a walk away as we all think or we thought. And dare I say, I mean, I know Hellebuck's good, but if Price plays like he can, and I'm coming at this from the point of view of Winnipeg being the favorite. I mean, I picked Winnipeg to be a uh, Stanley Cup contender at the beginning of the season. I just think they're they got a team that's built for the playoffs, but, uh, you know, so are Montreal in a way. And like, again, I look at these older players that could be only one or two plays, but, uh, you know, Stahl chipped in and Perry, I think is playing fantastic. Now, you know, you mix in Suzuki, this Cole Caulfield kid who's real creative. And uh, you get anybody on a roll, right? Get people thinking they can win. I mean, it's the premise for so many movies, Slapshot, Major League, insert sports movie slash metaphor. But um, say what you want about it all. Just people are saying, you know, they've they've collapsed before. No, this is bigger, I think, than the Boston. The Boston series in what was it, 2012 or 13? Yeah, they were up 4-1, was it, in the third period? But as I recall, they weren't a favorite or at least as heavily a favorite. Boston went on to play in the Stanley Cup final. Toronto, I don't think we're at all these expectations. I mean, th these are, if you're a hockey fan, you pay attention. This is the most I've ever heard. And, you know, Leafs fans are loud, but this particular year, I think everybody expected a round two. It was paved out for them. It was paved. They played in the Northern Division, which I'm starting to think you know, it's good, but maybe it's, maybe, you know, it'd be different if you were playing all the teams. I mean, we really won't know. This is kind of an off year. They're only playing, it's the NHL, but with the teams that are playing each other, it doesn't really give you a great read. I mean, whoever wins the North could go and get spanked. Who knows? But this was their year. They finished in first in the North. Like I said, the Leafs in their entire history have never won more than two playoff rounds. Oh, Terry, well, they won the Stanley Cup a long time ago, but they did. Yeah, they did in 1967, but there's only six teams. And since, they've never made the final. So they've never 
won three rounds in a playoff season. And this really seemed like at least a year that they could win a couple, right? And if, if a Leafs team is even moderately successful in the playoffs, the city's a buzz, but it never gets to happen. It never comes to fruition. And this year, you know, up 3-1, all the momentum, finished 18 points ahead of them um, with this Northern Division, kind of a, a little security blanket um, in a division that you walked away with. Then Edmonton loses, so you're like, you know, a lot of people said, well, they're definitely going to beat Winnipeg. Oh, I wasn't one of them, but, you know, they lost. At the same time, the Leafs were up 3-1 on a team they dominated all year. Damn rights, this is big. This is colossal. This is as big as anything I remember in my lifetime. I hate to laugh. <clears throat> and by the way, uh, I'm recording this at... Um, Nighttime. So it's a little different tone, I suppose. Um, because my guest today, Sheldon Surrey, is in California. So I'd, uh, sorry about that. Um, just reading my notes here. And I realized, not that I need to make many notes on Sheldon, he's one of my good hockey buddies, but I realized that I left them at the bar I work at TJ's Pub, but uh, I don't really even need them. If there was one guest that I don't have any notes, this is the one. Sheldon and I go back to 1991-92, uh, I was 14, he was 15, we were both bantam age players playing in Cornell in the Rocky Mountain Junior A Hockey League. And it was um, it was eye-opening, to say the least, for a couple of kids. And we were. We were, we were kids, right, playing junior. And uh, like Northern BC League Junior, like they all seemed 25 years old. I'm telling you, man, everybody like smoked dope and drank and sex was like normal and like we were just well sheldon was eons ahead of me i was uh you know my the year before i played peewee peewee i go out there and like the, the game is different of course i didn't play with hitting then all of a sudden there was hits and fights guys are drinking in the room afterwards anyway i had the sheldon to go through that was because sheldon was listed with tri-city you could list players then. You had so many you'd list. And then Sheldon's here, I think, according to Jason Padolin last week, was um, the first year of a, of a WHL draft, so to speak. And then our year, it was in full swing. There was no more listing. You had the draft. And that's kind of how I ended up out west. Um, I've told that story a thousand times. But in any case, we ended up going to Cornell, and, and Sheldon came over there, and, and uh, we went to Tri-Cities together, which is in Washington State. It was a hell of a time to be there, too, because the grunge movement was happening, and we go over to the uh, concert. Um, actually, I'm going to ask Sheldon what he thinks of that. Writing that down. Um, 
Yeah, and then we had uh, different paths, of course. But Sheldon was when he got drafted. Honestly, it was it was almost. I'm not going to say as a tough guy because he was defense, and it's hard to for someone to actually be a tough guy playing defense. But he was a very very tough, rugged defenseman. We all knew he had a real hard shot, but that hadn't translated into being good on the power play yet. <clears throat> I believe in his draft year, he had uh, three goals and six assists. And he fought Brant Myers 45 games into the year, maybe. And uh, Brant was the toughest guy in the league. And Sheldon got drafted after that. Like imagine when he was 16, he got sent back to Fort Saskatchewan, I think to play junior a again. Right. So, and I played another year in Quinnell. It's like, so we were there in 91, 92 in Quinnell together, but then I stayed. He went, figured he was going to make Tri-Cities, played a few games, but they sent him back. Then at 17, right, he was pretty much a rookie on Tri-Cities, played 40-odd games, got drafted in the third round. Three goals, six assists. So there, that's how tough he was. And someone there really saw potential that we, again, we knew it. But you know how sometimes scouts... You know, some scouts earn their money. And if you were just to look at the stats, I don't think you would have realized, but anybody with a brain that saw Sheldon back then would have known that it was, you know, that this is a total project here, but it's, it's something that we can really, because this guy's only going to get better, and right now he's pretty good. But then, you know, he went through to, to New Jersey and... and he was in the mold of, of, of late career, like Ken Danico and Scott Stevens. I say late career because Scott Stevens, it, 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 everybody remembers him for his hits now. But back then, I mean, he had 70, 80, 60 points. Like he, Stevens could score. And I don't think New Jersey ever saw that out of Sheldon. I mean, I, I think they knew that he had a little bit of offensive upside. But... I'll ask. I don't remember him being on the power play or having much goal scoring success in New Jersey. Then they traded him to Montreal in a few years. He gets 26 goals. Now, the most in the history of the Montreal Canadiens on defense in one year is Doug Harvey with 28. Sheldon had 26. 19 of which came on the power play, which set an NHL record that still exists. Um, so... You know, did I believe in Sheldon? Of course. But given every other year's statistics, no one saw that coming. If, if you told me, I, I definitely thought that at one point he'd probably get to play the, you know, if he stuck around in the NHL, he would, I'm, I'm saying like early in our careers when, you know, of course he stuck around, but I'm saying early on, no one really knew that. You know, he's in the AHL for a reason. You got to develop. So, you know, I, I don't just look at even now an AHL player and go, oh, he's, he's going to set the power play record for the most ever in the NHL for defense, for his position. So point being, I'm not saying I didn't have confidence in him, but whoa, like that was crazy. So, you know, I think he made the all-star team a few times, won the uh, hardest shot competition. Oh, God. Um, Sheldon had a six-point game in Montreal. I believe that's the most ever on, on defense. So, yeah, I mean, his career was spectacular. And uh, he I don't want to say he went out with a whimper. That's a bad way to put it. 
but he had some injury trouble in, in, in Edmonton. Still, for the amount he played, he played pretty well. Um, and, I mean, we'll get into that a little bit. I hate to keep asking him questions that I always feel with Sheldon there's like a scoop because he does interviews and he's had some major, major things happen to him, including this injury. And, and it, so, you know, I'm sure he gets inundated with these questions but it is pretty interesting because it put him on the shelf for a year and he battled and he came back and he played a full year in hershey in the minors and then uh had pretty respectable years with dallas and anaheim to finish his career but injuries cut it down to 750 odd games um but a fine career and one of one of my all, if not my like my oldest friend in 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 hockey, like outside of the buddies I grew up with. But you know, upon moving away at fourteen and and being in a new place with new people and a new league, if I didn't have him, first of all, Sheldon was fifteen, like I said, and I was fourteen. But he was a mature, you know, he was confident, right? Like he was stylish. I was the opposite of all those things all those things. And uh, he made my transition into junior hockey just incredible. Anyway, without further ado, uh, I'm going to have Sheldon on. Um, we're going to talk for about an hour. And I'm going to ask him some questions that uh, you guys have sent me because I made a post. I think I'm going to do that more because uh, there's some great questions here. Okay. Happy playoffs. Happy hockey season. And, uh, yeah, I'll be right back. Two shakes of a lamb's tail. Sheldon Surrey coming up. Ladies and gentlemen, my next guest played over 750 games in the National Hockey League, highlighted by a 26-goal campaign in 2006 and 07 for the Montreal Canadiens, setting an NHL record that year with 19 power play goals from the point. He's a three-time NHL All-Star and is noted for, amongst other things, a no-nonsense Type of style with a cannon for a shot. He's one of my oldest friends in hockey, going back to the days of the Quinnell Millionaires and Tri-City Americans. He is a courteous Californian, a fabulous father, caring Canadian, a sexy sniper, a wicked Western leaguer, a sharp shooter. Ever since he was a tot, he had a rocket for a shot. He owns a hot tub and he played in the dub. His Corvette had nice tires the year he fought Brad Myers. He has a strong sense of self and likes going top shelf. He can often be witty and he played in Tri-Cities. As a team, a typical as a teen, a typical snack was four or five or six Big Macs. His birthday isn't in May, but he used to drive a Stingray. He has a nice truck and can hammer the puck. His favorite player in Quinnell was a guy named Robert Bell. Ladies and gents, naughty by nature, singing hip hop hooray. Please welcome my friend Sheldon Suray. Sheldon, how are you doing? And I'll correct myself. You're not a Californian. Oh. Uh. Yeah, I sorry about that. You, but I thought you were. Nothing gets by you. How how long have you been in Vegas? Um, back full time, a little over a year now. Built a house out here. I've lived here when I retired. I had a couple years left on my contract, and I moved to Vegas. Uh, you know, for taxes, and I lived here for a couple years. Then I went back to California for a couple years, and uh, moved back here full time a year ago. Wow. And you're just, uh, you seem to be in a great place. That's good. Do you, what do you, do you keep up with hockey playoffs anymore? I do. Uh, only recently, 
because being in Vegas, I've become friends with a couple of the guys on the nights. And so it makes it more interesting when you know someone for a long time, like, especially after I retired, I, I mean, actually I came to Las Vegas in 2018 for a golf tournament. And my partner in this tournament had season tickets for the Knights and it was their very first playoff game. Um, the, the very first one. And he has two seats behind the glass. And he said, you want four seats, but he had two extras. So do you want to go to this game? And I, uh, nah. and I went to this game and uh, man, I was blown away by how much the game has changed. It was fast. Guys were big, strong and the arena in Vegas was almost, and this is the first year. It was almost like playing in Canada. You know, the energy, the fans were crazy. And so that kind of got me back. I hadn't watched the game for, man, four or five years for sure. I mean, I just disconnect, right? You know, once you retire, it's not like I wasn't looking for uh, a job in hockey to be a coach or. Yeah, uh, it's not like you live in Toronto or, or Montreal. Yeah. You're, 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 you're exactly. on the outskirts. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Mm -hmm. So. Before we start or we continue, what do you think of the Edmonton Elks? The Elks, have you have you heard the Eskimos? Yeah, I, uh, I thought we started the Edmonton Elks. Yeah, we did. Yeah, they, no. well, that's what the the Eskimos' new name is. The Elks. The Elks. The Edmonton Elks. Yes, I don't know if it was just I I learned about it yesterday. I don't know if it was just announced yesterday. I was wondering from a perspective of a near Edmontonian what you'd think. I hate the world we're living in. We're, we're just like, we're so sensitive. And uh, <laughs> it's, it's such a history with Edmonton. You know, the Eskimos, man, the Eskimos and the, uh, the Oilers in the 80s, were that, that was the city of champions. And so call them whatever you want, but I know what, uh, I, know what I will always refer to them as, and that's, uh, that's the Eskimos. Well, yeah, people were kind of waiting, but I guess they get to keep the symbol with the E, but there's a new symbol of a big elk. Anyway, close to home, how often do you get back in a non-pandemic situation not much maybe maybe a christmas maybe once in the summer i mean it's a lot easier asking my family to come from fishing lake to come down to vegas or la or idaho than it is you know uh making the the trek up to alberta i mean dude i've been you know i've been there in august and it's been snowing oh yeah fact, right and so you know i leave my uh, places that I call home, whether it's California or, or Vegas or um, Idaho, and it's always beautiful weather and good living to go back to to Alberta, which is uh, it's such a wild card. You know, I don't want to go up there. Usually, you go up there for if I go up there for three or four or five days, you're lucky if you get a day of good weather. You know, and so hey, I'm not I'm not in any way. Uh thinking um, you framing that as a negative i think it's great what you're doing as long as you get to see your family um and your mom lives in edmonton right my mom is still in fishing lake she's in fishing yep. lake okay i talked to lillian here and there on facebook but you lose yeah sense of where people are the last time i saw her was in edmonton i hope she's doing all right she is she she uh she definitely has so much love for you i mean we started you know we started way back when we were young kids right 14 <laughs> and 15 and so uh, as did my dad and, and as do I for your family, right? Uh, senior and your mom. Um, it's hey. always, always good to know they're doing good. You know, I was just, 
it, it explained a little bit of that in the preamble there, but, and I've talked about it here and there because I mean, that's a big story still over here that I left when I was 14 and I didn't know where I was going The tri city Americans. There was a tournament called the Vancouver super series. And I went there and they promised that they would draft me and they got senior substitute teaching job and we, I <laughs> across the country. And then I, I still don't really know what the link was with, I, I went there, but there happened to be a few like Western leaguers. Remember, like it was, they yeah. said it was Tri City's farm team, but that wasn't really a thing. I, I, so I don't know. There was no like official affiliation, and there was guys there from Victoria as well. And I don't know how you eventually. I remember we were in Grand Prairie again. I was fourteen, and like the closest remember like Bud Howell got sent there and he was really immature. Like mm -hmm. he wasn't, I just didn't like the guy. No, California him. kid. Yeah. California yeah right. Kid. And yeah. so I wasn't so hanging true. out with him. So yeah. it just seemed like everybody was 25 and the guys right. that I liked like Spence and standing, they were 18, 19, 19, 20. And, uh, but then they seemed like they were 30 or 35. Like when I looked at those guys, I still think that, like we played with in the senior league, yeah, that's what it, it felt like. It really right? did. And everybody, yeah. like overnight for me, I didn't play with hitting the year before. Like I was in Peewee. And I go out there and then all of a sudden, like everybody's smoking darts in the room after the game. Beers everywhere. Um, you know, just open. You got to find your way too. now. There'll be so many hands on your agent to be there. Like I remember going to parties and like people were smoking dope and you just had to navigate your way around. I, I think of it. I'm like looking back with no there was no checks and balances. There was like no accountability. Well, there was accountability from your, you had tough friends back then, but we, we navigated through, you know, we, we, and there was, cause there was all kinds of influences in tri cities as well. I don't want to name names, but along that route route, we could have gotten sidetracked so many times. I mean, we, and we that's why I loved your dad because he'd let you, he was a type of guy. Yeah. You want to smoke? It'd be stupid for you to do it. And I'm sure you'll probably puke or, but he, he was, he, my dad was the same, like turn a blind eye, kind of let you go to the team party. Mm -hmm. Now I hope Spence, you're not going to let him get fucked up. But I mean, if he wants to have a few beers, I'm going to look the other way because you had to find your way back then. You had to navigate around and you didn't want to be a nerd either. That, that sounds right. fucked up when I say that, <laughs> uh, but peer pressure was a thing. How did you get over there in the first place? And, um, you know, what did you feel after your first year junior there? So, I mean, I, I got to give a lot of credit to you for my whole career, I think, right? You had this, um, I think the Tri-Cities thing is there was a, a scout for Tri-Cities, Scott Bonner, who uh, coached me when I was peewee and kind of had his eye on me and Jerry Johansson, who was a scout for Tri-Cities as well. And what happened that year, I was 15 and I was playing a level up in, in Alberta, in, um, uh, in midget, okay. midget triple a. And, um, it might've been three or four games in the season. I got suspended for this season. I went across the red line in, uh, in warmups and, and fought this kid. And then, uh, I waited for him to come out of the locker room and then I fought half their team in the hallway. So they suspended me for, for the season there. And so while I was thinking, man, what's, you know, what am I going to do? My life's over. I mean, I'm 15 and, um, and Scott Bonner called and said, Hey, we have this opportunity for you to go up to try to, uh, Quinnell BC. Um, we have another young kid that that's there and he's going to be the number one overall draft pick. And remember TSN came out and did a, 
a story on you that year, a special. Oh, yeah. And so they were like, oh, the good, the bad, and the ugly. The good, the bad, the ugly. So uh, I was like, oh, man, be on TSN 15. Yeah. And so that's how I ended up up there. And then, uh, you know, the rest is history. We got along, like you said, we got along so well at the beginning because we were just kids, man. And they and that was, uh, that's when yeah. men were men. Yeah. That was, that was, was not a middle like, you're not going to California and, and sneaking in, you know, some, some beach town. I mean, there was like, yeah. you know, kids our age were working, they were farming and they were working. Right. And uh, everyone's smoking it. And you made a good point, man. Um, we, we were just involved enough and I'm really glad your dad was around. He was our coach. And he was also like my dad when, when my dad wasn't uh, coming to town. And then when my dad came in town, him and senior hit it off and the whole thing. We know that, but uh, you know, we, um, we, we got in just enough trouble that the guys didn't think we were nerds, but I think you and I had, uh, we had a bigger goal than to play in Quinnell and finish out our junior hockey. We, we were, that was the stepping stone and, uh, and, you know, we endeared ourselves to our teammates. I, I think a lot. Um, you just said you never, you never hit the year before. Now you're fighting, you know, oh, yeah. uh, 20 year old men and from Williams Lake. I mean, uh, man, we were crazy, but we were like kind of a good crazy. And that helped. I'm telling you, because as a, I can't imagine, you know, I came into the Western league when I went the first round, BJ young went in the second. So we went in there together and I remember like he was just blown away. He's like, what is this? Like I'm coming from Bantam in Alaska and we had just come to, like, I remember legitimately thinking someone asked me about, I went into Seattle when we went to tri cities, one of the first games I fought Brendan Witt. I, I used to, I, I was of the mindset. I didn't like getting open ice hit. So I know now, and there's always the argument of fighting, no fighting. I'm not going to go there. I'm just from my perspective, I'd rather fight him than get hit like that. And I wanted the respect. So I just wanted it out of the way early. And I fought him and like, it was, he, he gave me a pretty good licking, but I, I got some in and someone came over and said, like, you're not scared of any, like, you know, and I'm like, well, you know, I kind of, I got nerves, but I go like, Last year I played in Fort St. John and like, I, I was worried like there was no, the game here, it's being recorded. So if anything crazy happens, if a lawsuit comes, like they're looking right at it. And he was like, what? It was the radio guy. And it was, I was like, yeah, like it was crazy. They tried to tip over our bus in Northern BC. Like yeah, I, I yeah. actually felt yeah. scared at times, you know, I remember they used Man. to put, put beer bottles. It was either Grand Prairie or Fort St. John around the, the, like their, their empty cans and beers would go around. And if someone made a hit, however many they, bottles they would knock down, like the player got those beers after some, some like method. And, and that's just all I needed to hear. I'm like, oh, so. And again, I'm, I'm navigating around hitting, let, let alone that shit. And then there was, you know, the women and everything else. But you were like a good liaison with me because for whatever reason and you had some style you still do right like i was going out there i i was from newfoundland on top of it was i am on top of everything pre-internet though no globalization of like where i can go actually this is st john's and sure i mean it took you your first year at albany to see st john's so <laughs> so like and i couldn't really so there's still the newfie jokes were way more prevalent my accent was maybe you think i sound like i'm from newfoundland now it was way worse. And, you know, I had zits all over my face. I didn't know how to dress in like jogging pants and a chip and pepper shirt. That was the best I could do. Like, so I learned a lot 
and you know you seemed like you didn't seem to have a care in the world i remember going over in the summertime and you grabbed the keys and i'm like oh you got your license over here and you're like no i don't not yet it didn't matter and that's why i made the joke we'd go through the drive-thru and you'd get like four big macs and a mix remember i remember i i knew the girl who was working the drive-thru remember she used to fill those bags for us yes, yes oh, i do god and wow, we just, you remember that i totally oh, remember i was blown deep. away wow. i was blown away um and you you also but that's also why it worked for me mentally because um you know you had a strong sense of family and all that and and and, mm. and from a fairly small place that you know same thing. Mount Pearl's small. St. John's isn't, you know, on a relative terms. So I had that sense. I was comfortable. I was telling Mizey, he came on my podcast a little while ago. At the 95 draft, I don't remember what led, what connected these two things. But I remember the night before the draft, you pounding on my door. Like, I wouldn't let you in or something happened. It was the very night before the draft, though. You might have even rented the room for me. I don't remember. But you were like, no, let me in. And I don't know. I, I, I can't remember. I think I just said it was in Edmonton. It was, it in, was Edmonton. in Edmonton. Because I was, I was drunk. And I'm like, geez, I got a big day tomorrow. Like, fuck off type thing. Then in the morning, I went down and apologized. Then you said, okay, after we're all going out to Fishing Lake. But I don't remember what connected, like, Mizey being out there and all that. I, I don't. That's where I met Brant Myers, though, mm-hmm. who, you know, I think people, maybe they're starting to remember now with the new book, Painkiller, he's got. Um, but in my mind, I don't know, was that just hanging around you? But in my mind, like, there was no other. He was number one with a bullet. Like, there was nobody close. There was other people in the league. We're talking, like, real tough people looking back. But in my yeah. mind... Brant Myers, like there was one guy out there that was a superhero and everybody else was in the next level down. Yeah. And, uh, you know, well, you know what? I'm, I'm doing question. more talking than asking. But you knew him somehow because I met him up there. And the year before, if I remember correctly, it's a long time ago, but I believe you had, I don't even need to look at HockeyDB, in 40-odd games, you had three goals and six assists. But I was there on the ice looking at you down in the corner next to the net when you drop your gloves with Brant Myers. In my memory, that went a long way into having you go in the third round. I don't think we all knew you had a, a, had a cannon for a shot, but it hadn't really come to fruition yet in being I can score on the power play. It, we we kind of knew it would happen, but it hadn't. And they took you there. Was that some unbelievable scouting in their terms or, or, or for being – uh, the perspective of knowing that you're going to be able to score, but I, I really don't know because it's not like they put you in that role in, in New Jersey. And how much did Mizey have to do with all that? That's a lot, you know, talk about the whole thing. There's no real question there, but. <laughs> uh, but I understand you, isn't that, isn't yes, that well? Uh, exactly. I understood every word. <laughs> Mize, um, so we grew up in uh, very um, small towns that were close to each other. So he was from a neighboring town. And then when I was like in Pee Wee's, he played for the junior B team in my town. Um, really skilled guy. He had his Jersey tucked in number 88. He was like a mini, mini Gretzky. Right. And uh, he was really good. And so I seen him at like some of these small town fairs and stuff for a couple of years. I went to introduce myself to him. And then um, I'd see him every once in a while maybe in the summer when we went back or whatever. Um, the year that I got drafted was 94 year before you. And um, 
you know, spend a couple uh, nights with them out at the, the bars, having some fun. And, um, and so I knew him, right. I knew, I knew him. I, I would, I knew him enough to say he's my friend. Right. But uh, yeah, that year uh, that you were, that I was drafted, I think that was 94. Um, he was unquestionably the toughest guy in our league in the, in the he whole, was. in the whole, um, in the whole league, like in all junior, major that, junior. I that's mean, what I was, thought too. I said, was my memory skewered because I played with, like I look back, Sheldon, I'm astounded at how many players we had from Edmonton. The Tri-City Americans had 15 yeah. players that one year from Edmonton. So I yeah. wondered, I said, am I, is that because Mizey's from up that way and everybody's in my ear about it? Or was he, because in my mind, right up until now, people say, say like, oh, who was the toughest? I'm like, well, well, Myers in the league, not even, there's no con. There's yeah. not even a con- contest. After that, we can talk Belak or Thompson or Sheldon or exactly. Or- that's that's yeah. exactly that's uh, those are the guys I would have mentioned. Belak, Rocky Thompson, uh, Wit. You know these yeah. guys were all tough. But um, and Brant says it in his uh, book. You know he he had to fight his first couple of years, and then the year that I fought him, no one would fight him. He had like four or five fights. There's just no one left to fight, and. You, you might not remember, but I remember before a game, we had a pretty tough team too. And he just got traded to Spokane. Yeah. And um, so we were all kind of weird, but remember we had like Jody Murphy and who do we have? Lebsack. We had, we had some tough dudes. Yeah. And I remember um, the old guy saying, just, Hey, just let him sleep. It was the first time we we're playing against him since he got traded to Spokane. He said, Hey guys, just, you know, no need to wake up the giant and let, just let him, just let him play out there. And, you know, and um and then our and then we got starting lineup and I was on it and so was he. And I remember putting my helmet on before he went on. I go, I'm I'm gonna go fight him. And um I remember Gary Levsack said he goes, Hey, don't you dare. He goes, Don't you dare, just you know, just go out there and play, don't worry. And I'm like, all right. But I remember our guys kind of being and you were a fearless player when we played junior and and even you know, uh, in your pro career. Uh we were always standing up for ourselves and for our teammates, even though we were the younger, younger guys. So anyways, he had a good reputation. He had the best reputation for being tough. So uh, I broke my leg in that fight with him. Yep. He, uh, he, I fell on a stick and he fell on top of me and probably the best thing that could have happened to me. Cause he, you know, he, he would have killed me. And, um, you know, I think that I didn't have many points that year. I don't think it was, unbelievable scouting i think jersey and uh, another team paid the closest attention to me and so i missed that half of the season and i didn't even think i was going to get drafted that year and um it, it had a lot to do with it It had a lot to do with me getting drafted it just showed that i had you know uh, a little bit of jam you know i fought a few guys just like you we fought a couple of the toughest guys and yeah. it just showed that i had some jam and um and enough for them to take a chance on me. And then, you know, the rest is the rest just fell into place, I guess. I remember because we had like signature rookies deals. Well, I, I wasted all that money, but remember that 4,500 bucks was mine, was mine 4,500 bucks. Yeah. But Sheldon, you know what happened to me? So for those that don't know, signature rookies. So what they did, they signed with each individual player instead of with the league. That's why if you look back and you can find one of these cards, I still got like 3,000 of them at my house. But we would sign all of them of, of a particular card. I mean, like 5,000 at a time. And 
there were jersey so it didn't have a tri-city americans jersey it just said like tri-city stamped across the front because they didn't have a deal with the league or anything so anyway what happened Sheldon, in my particular experience because it was back-to-back years first thing i was going to say is that it, it didn't really surprise me or lanks or anybody it was the, the 40 odd games kind of thought it was abrupt i went oh wow it's going to end now and we were kind of waiting for you to take off and you were almost there but before the year like people were following along so i'm not going to say i was that surprised but yeah i mean you you didn't play any games after that and still went like high <clears throat> but second point so this happens so i i had these bonuses that no one expected we were going to make but in mine you know i think i was rated fairly high coming into the western league but i don't think anybody would have put me in the top 10 so it was something about the ratings at christmas if you were in the first round that i was and then it was the chl all-star game was a big thing i went to that and had player of the game. And there was these bonuses I was supposed to get with signature rookies. And I didn't even know, but Barnett told me about it. So I'm reading the contract. And I'm like, just so I see, I got 25 grand coming to me. And I mean, I, I went out and I, I yeah, I, I just, I, I convinced someone in Tri-Cities to get a credit card. It was easy to get at the time, I guess. My parents didn't know. I mean, they put themselves in the hole coming out to Cornell. So I wasn't going to tell them anything, right? Like, and my, my billets bought me a vehicle at first. Uh, so like I was going, uh, it was all smoke and mirrors. And then anyway, I bought like a couple of quads for the outside the dressing room, like with lengths, yeah. something stupid. Yeah. And then yeah. went down and like went, you know, didn't know anything about taxes. It was just stupid. But then anyway, I got a phone call and the, Mike said, yeah, they're going bankrupt. Like they're, they're, you're not going to get your money. You got some of it, but all the bonus stuff I wasn't getting. So I had to go and yeah, I, I went through this big, like, I didn't know what to do. I pawned off everything, my car, everything. I went down to like the pawn shop <laughs> and I had like my rings, my chain and like 200 CDs. And I was like, I was expecting to get like three grand. And the guy's like, what the fuck are you thinking? He gave me like 10 bucks. I was like, oh Jesus, what am I going to do now? And then that's right after that is when I ended up signing. But that went on for like, I, I had this, like I was nervous for like four months because I, I didn't have any way to explain this. And then I never really had to until right now. Dad listens. He'll listen tomorrow. <laughs> uh, but what did you, you, you bought a Jeep, didn't you? I, re I remember you, you coming in and, and you, uh, I remember something in the purchase that you, you didn't understand taxes like I didn't or, or something, but tell us about your experience signing and buying the Jeep. So I went to training camp that year uh, in New Jersey. So that's 94. And um, that was the year they had the lockout. And so... So your leg was better then by then, right? You, you bet, yeah, you, yep. Okay. I was in training camp. Yeah, I got in shape. I, um, I actually went to Jersey after I got drafted and did some conditioning in the summer and stuff because obviously it wasn't... Being in shape back then wasn't my uh, strongest suit. And um, so I went to camp and there was a lockout and then I got sent back to um, Tri-Cities and they signed me. And so they gave me a signing bonus and uh, I can't remember what it was. It was, it was pretty good. It was a lot of money. And uh, especially for me. And I remember a couple days days. I don't know if you went. I can't remember. Uh, I, I, I don't. I like don't. 450, I think. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. I was way off. I, I can't remember. Yeah. I know that it was like, you and I were talking about it and I did, I, I didn't, again, when I signed, I, I, I was, I, it come up Sheldon when, when the fax machine came in 
and it said like 150 and I freaked out, but it was first installment. I didn't even know, like to us, yeah, money to exactly. me was, it's not $60 a week. Right? Exactly. Like, I, we, so we, I don't, and we both, I don't remember anybody we played. Humble no, beginnings. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So think of everybody that signed while we were there. I don't remember what anybody signed for. It can do after in the NHL and then pro I, I remember, but like in junior, it was just like, what you, you signed? Like you could have said 10 grand. It would have been like wicked. You signed. I know that was the big thing. But, but anyway, I when cut I, you off. When, when, no, when I was told the contract, I was like, is that for a whole season? They're like, no, that's your bonus. Like I had, dude, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm the same as you. I had no, no clue. And anyways, um, I get a deposit in my account one day and uh, I can't remember. You, you might not have been with me, but I went down to the Jeep store and I looked, I was walking around the, the Jeep store in Tri-Cities and um, um, I'm looking for like 30 minutes and like no one's helping me. And uh, I see this nice Jeep there that, that I ended up buying and it was like this limited edition. And I went up and I said, uh, you know, I had to find a guy and I said, excuse me, uh, I'm interested in this Jeep. And he looked at me and he said, no, hey, go, let, let me show you these other ones here. They're probably more in your price range. And I said, no, I want this one. And uh, he said, well, you know, it's this and it's this limited anyways. And he shows me the sticker price, right? And I didn't even want to deal. I'm like, fuck you. Yeah. I went to the bank the next day. It was I remember it was like 37 grand, right? And um, so I went to the bank the next day and I'm like, Hey, uh, I need some cash. Like, okay, fill out this form. And I go, I need 37,000. They're like, what? And then the manager comes over, like, we don't just give $37,000 cash. Right. And I, <laughs> dude, I didn't have a bank card back then, you know? And anyways, a couple of days later I go in and, um, they gave me a cash. I got the, the amount for the Jeep, the window sticker. I went to, you know, I went and took it, uh, whatever I did, wrote it down, whatever. And, uh, so I go back in there. And I walk into the guy's office and I have this check, right, for, for the window sticker. No, I didn't want a deal. I didn't want anything. I threw it on his desk. I said, I'm here to pick up the Jeep, that one right there. He goes, okay. And he looks at the check and he does, does this on his calculator. And he goes, all right, it's going to be uh, 41000 whatever with taxes. And I'm like, fuck. Went back to the bank, got some cash. and came. I had no idea. I didn't know what taxes were. I didn't know yeah. anything. But um. I tried to be a big shot and it backfired. I was a little light. You know what I remember? It's funny time and space. I remembered that whole story. The first day you went, I don't know who you were with. I don't know if you were with anybody. You told us the story. The next day we went to Sherry's after practice. Remember the little place you could get an omelet? Or, mm-hmm, he was, mm-hmm. Remember right, right, right close yeah, to the rink? Yeah, it was pregame there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And you told us that story. You were in between going to get it. And I don't remember what point you got rid of before that. The uh, Corvette Stingray, the blue one. That, that's, that's what I remember the most about you being in Tri-Cities. I think it was your uncle's or something, <laughs> was it? My dad. So before oh, I went to um, Tri-Cities, I think I was 16 that year, maybe 17. I think it was my 17-year-old season. And uh, I had worked all, all summer. Um, I was cleaning parts at a, a heavy-duty, um, like, trucks and tractors, sitting my hands in varnish all day and, and you know, cleaning these heavy uh, machinery parts. And so at the end of the summer, before I went to Tri-Cities, my dad said, uh, Hey, let's go look for, for a car, you know? And so we went and, um, we looked around and, and, uh, he sees this Corvette sitting at the end of the lot. Right. And he's wow. like, Hey, I'm going to, uh, buy this Corvette for you. 
you know, you chip in or whatever, my, you know, $2,000. And, you know, I think this thing was like 16 or 17 grand. So I'm going to, I'm going to buy you this Corvette. He goes, it doesn't rain. It doesn't snow up in Tri-Cities. He goes, and uh, he goes, I think it's going to look classy. I said, okay. Yeah. What did I know? Just a cocky kid. Right. I didn't have a care in the world. And uh, I remember, and you remember me pulling up to the rink in this Corvette and all like the 18, 19, 20 year olds were like, Oh yeah. Who the fuck is this guy? Like the Batmobile. <laughs> it was the bat the long stingray. It really was. It was like the yeah. closest thing of all the Corvettes to a Batmobile. I just couldn't believe it. But the other thing, what's really weird, again, none of my friends at home had cars. It's a year later. You can't drive here till you're 17. And when you're playing junior, you're amongst people that sign contracts or at least you know, like you said, you were working because you were playing. Like, people generally are working to get away earlier. So it's a different group of friends. But there, you had that Stingray. Then Mark Steffen shows up, and he had a Mustang, remember? And it was like a 1960-something. I'm, I'm not, I, don't, I don't want to be blasphemous towards people that love cars and say, like, it was a 67. I don't, I don't know. But it was an old-school one. And then there was a guy, Mark Dudium, that just came to our team. He was my age. And snuck onto it, and his billets gave him. And I, I sense figure. I thought he drove down, but it was like a. It, it was some classic 1960s vehicle. So, yeah, my experience of my buddies having these first cars are are, are these like classic sports cars. And I realize now that was just unique to the group. Steph was a weird bird too, but he, oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> I used to really enjoy his company. Those are some yeah. good years. Um, so if I stay in junior, we'll be here all day. <laughs> yeah. I, I got to ask you this. I got to ask you. I know you went pro in the Calder Cup. You get called up in junior. You win the Calder Cup. And I remember at my parents' house um, being on the landline. I do remember having a cell phone way back, but I guess I wasn't on it as much. And you, you were, what I remember, I thought you were in a room with Dennis Peterson. You guys had just won. I was kind of blown away by that because you know i always it was you know I, w I wanted if nothing else to win a pro championship i think maybe because my dad didn't and it, it it's it, it was one thing you know to play in the nhl but i always really and, and the people we, we were playing junior with like we were in the midst of the Kamloops having arguably the best junior franchise ever in like the five or six year span and in off years like spokane or seattle were winning it so you know, it just seemed like this huge deal to win a professional championship. It seemed 10 years down the road. It, it just seemed like I was confident that we would do it. It would just seem like a long way away. So you go and do that. And within a couple of years, well, first of all, how was that experience going from junior to the American Hockey League in a tough league, in a tough era and coming out on top? Uh, that was awesome. That was like a real introduction to pro because I played, I think, you know, uh, 12 or 13 or maybe more guys played in the NHL after that, you know, or that's the year the Devils won the cup in the lockout shortened season. And, and then we won the cup in Albany. I didn't, I didn't play very much, but to be around and to actually, you know, uh, take warmups even in the finals was yeah. like, you know, it's, it was nerve wracking. I, I couldn't meet that day. Um, but it was such a good experience to start out on, to see what it actually you know what it takes like the commitment even then man it was like we're talking 90 that was 95 uh you know spring of 95 and working out and training and dieting that wasn't like really a thing 
back then. You know that. And um, we didn't use the weight you, room. Oh yeah, we didn't, we, didn't, we didn't really the use the weight room, room in Tri City. Yeah. There was not one once. built for us. It was there. I, I don't remember. I just remember looking inside of there. <laughs> really, I swear to you. <laughs> I swear to you. I know what it looks like from the door. I know. Like this I is know. it. My whole memory when I realized is from the angle. I'm not kidding. Of outside looking in, I don't know what that room looks like from the corner where the way where the press was. I swear to God, looking I out, I don't. I can't remember. I have no memories in my head. Of being in the you remember room. that little? You remember the games room we had at the pool table, though? Had the yes. pool sticks and stuff there. Yeah, yeah I remember juice. that one yeah. quite yeah. well. We had some good times there. Yeah. And um, anyways, that was that was like a um, an eye opener, even from juniors to the next level right from from the juniors to the AHL was like just this massive gap and and then the and then we, I was called up to Jersey when Jersey won the cup but I wasn't going to play so I'd asked uh I'd asked Lou if I could you know go home I hadn't been playing in the American League I kind of look back on that and regret it um I just didn't see sticking around for another three weeks watching hockey and not doing anything but I missed out on you know uh, um a Stanley cup celebration with, uh, with guys. But I, anyways, all that to say is as a young guy going to an awesome organization like New Jersey, where the, the, the big team and the farm team was stacked and won the championships in the same year was a real introduction to like, wow, now this is, this isn't like, this is a job. This is a job now. And, uh, you, you better be ready. Yeah, that's, that's well said. So there was, did some sort of key turn during that experience. And then, you know, not that you didn't take it seriously, but I just said, we walked by the weight room, but it's not like we were saying, no, there was nobody even putting that on the radar. I mean, it was there, I guess I, I kind of knew what a bench press was, but we weren't, you know, it's not like we had a weight trainer and, and we skipped out on it. I don't want to paint the picture like that, but certainly enough. Like I remember going to my first pro camp and doing the Wingate and VO2 tests, and I could not believe the level of poor shape that I was in. But no one really knew it. They threw you a bone that first camp. It just so happens that your first experience wasn't in a weight room at the beginning of the year with, with a 50-man roster. It was in an actual playoff game for the organization. So that would have heightened everything. But I'm assuming they threw you a bone for not being in the best shape, did they? Yeah, that year they did, um, and I had a great training camp. And but you say I that year, I, but it would have been only two months later that you're going back to camp. Well, so right. the the year that that I got drafted, I went into camp and I was in pretty good shape because um, I broke my leg. So they once I got drafted, they said, "Hey, come to New Jersey. We're gonna you know uh, help you get into shape." So that year I got in good shape. That that season played out. I played in juniors. Then I went to Albany. We won the cup. Then it got called up to Jersey. And then I said, hey, you know, if I can go home, I'd, I'd rather go home. I don't want to sit around here doing nothing for that. And I was homesick and just a lot of stuff. And um, and so that was already in like June, mid-June-ish. Yeah. And been. so when I went for that summer, uh, I went into camp the next year in awful shape. Move. I, I went into camp in such bad shape. I uh, I had my signing bonus. Uh, I just want to, you know, just got a ring in Albany and, you know, thought, man, this is, this life is easy. This is easy. And so I partied a lot that summer, had fun, 
you know, played scrimmage hockey right out at Nate and just going around. And um, I got to camp in really bad shape that year. So my second training camp and before training camp started. So like, you know, the day that, that uh, they're putting the teams out and, and I wasn't on it. I wasn't, my name wasn't on the list. And now uh, there was already expectation because I just had, I just made it yeah. to the final cuts the year before. Right. And, um, and Lou called me in his office and he, he told me, uh, how disappointed he was in me and how I'd embarrassed myself and like, uh, completely unprofessional. And, um, I'm not, I'm, I'm not even invited to participate in training camp. So I'm going to go to Albany, which, you know, their, their training camp doesn't even start for two or three weeks because they have to send players down. So I was in Albany in a hotel room by myself for like two weeks. There was no skating. There was no nothing, no coaches, no. And dude, that was, I might as well have been in a prison because that was like the loneliest time of my life. Like I really knew that I messed up. Right. I was like, Oh man, I, I, I was really disappointed. And before the season started. So then when the training camp opened in Albany, they called me back up to the big team. I'm like, Oh, finally. Now, now Lou knows what he's talking about. He calls me back up and um, he sent me right back to juniors. I, so I didn't even get to participate in training camp that year. And Lou said, um, which ended up being some of the best advice I ever got. And he said, if I ever embarrass myself for the organization like that, again, I will never play another, uh, pro game, NHL, AHL. Um, so let that be the lesson. And he sent me back to juniors. I don't know if you remember, I came back to juniors early that year while you and all the other guys are at pro camps. I just had this big camp the year before and I'm back in, you know, junior. So it was super embarrassing. And, um, and lonely. And I felt like I really, I really fucked up, but looking back in hindsight, I mean, that was such a good learning lesson for me because, uh, you know, I took my, my physical condition and, uh, being a professional, I, I never took that for granted again. Now I'm not saying I was winning fitness awards every year, but I can't, especially in middle, when I was having my best years in the NHL, I was the fittest. Wow. Yeah. So yeah. That, so um, that's, I mean, I, I knew that we all had to smarten up a little bit after junior, but the fittest. Okay. That's so, so that really was one of the best lessons of your life. Then yeah. you take your, yeah. your life being mostly a journey in hockey and, and around it. And mm. you know, the success that you had and, and, and continue to have in life and everything else, that was a major part of all that. So dude, I was so embarrassed and, and, you know, we, we run along similar lines, you and I in our life and, you know, having to call my dad and, and him say, Hey, how's training camp going? And me go, you know, actually I'm not even participating in training camp oh, because God. I'm out of shape was oh, like, fuck man. Right. Uh, it was oh, like, yeah. Oh my God. So I was, I just felt like I was such a failure and, I knew that that would never happen again. I, it, it was a hard enough lesson that they weren't going to have to tell me about that again. I do um, remember bits and pieces of that story when you came back and you were pretty adamant. So it doesn't surprise me. Um, and it, it, you go to Jersey, you end up uh, having a great uh, start to your career. In more ways than one, uh, stats are one thing, but I mean, you're playing behind some and, and with some players, just to name 
Danico Stevens, uh, that uh, I think Colin White was there then, wasn't he? Like, there's guys he that you're playing with that, that are, uh, oh, oh, did he? But, but again, he kind he of. He took my place up. there. When I got traded, okay. he was kind of the guy they brought up to fill my role. Doesn't surprise me. I mean, I'm not, you, you, you know, left shots big in those guys. Small. I mean, you, you must have learned a lot from a team that had just won. I mean, it's one thing you learn in the A and, and those guys became, but you went to a team with some legends on it. Um, it's, uh, Hall of Fame players. How was that for an experience, you know, entering the league? And, and guys like Lyle Odeline, one of the first guys I met and one of the greatest guys who, mm-hmm. you know, you don't really think is a Hall, well, he's not a Hall of Famer, but he was even an all-star, but he's a real, real good fella, great teammate. He's a Hall of Fame guy. Hall of Fame guy. So you're yeah. there with like basically a, a team full of legends. So how yeah. was that for your first experience? Was it intimidating? I mean, I know the obvious is that, I mean, it was good, but was it in any way intimidating and or did you roll with the punches and were you gaining confidence as time went? Yeah, it, it was definitely intimidating, but all those guys are uh, like we just said, uh, Hall of Fame guys, Doug Gilmore, yeah. Uh, Scotty Niedermeyer, Marty Brodeur, Randy McKay. I mean, the list is like, it was so long <laughs> of unbelievable guys. Scott Stevens was him and, um, Chris Chelios, my two favorite defensemen growing up And here, you know, when I'd come in for, especially when I started the season, when I came in and I seen my Jersey hanging, you know, number two next to number three and number three Danico. And then yeah. Stevens, it was like, Holy shit. Like this is, uh, but those guys, that organization, and I say it a lot, like, I don't know if I would have had the career that I had if I didn't start with that organization specifically. They really taught me and, and everybody else um, what it means to be a professional and to be a part of a team. Uh, everything was about the team. So our, our rules were stricter when I was there, right? Like, um, curfews, and, and they would check on that. And No and facial hair, wasn't it? For the no facial part. hair, yeah. exactly. No facial hair, and and like very those, there were some restrictions. Yeah, very very old school. And um, but we got treated so good. We always stayed at the best hotels, and we had a private plane, and we had the best meals. So they really took care of us within you know this this um, the team thing. And man, Jacques Lemaire was my first coach. It was very black and white. There was no games, no mind games, no you know. It was yeah. like I knew what. I knew what I had to do. And, um, man, I love that team. I love being a, when I look back at the time, I was like, Oh fuck, this is hard. And man, why, why is, you know, Jacques and Lou always picking on me and, um, you know, poor me. Meanwhile, they're just trying to help me be a better pro and take my game, you know, and, and improve as a player and, um, and be a bigger part of the team. Um, and I look back and I see that, you know, at the time it was tough, right? It's a, well, and you know, if I played on LA, I wouldn't, I could, you know, uh, not have to wear a suit on the road, like shit like that. Right. Um, but man, what a, what a blessing to, to play with those guys in that organization for those, uh, hall of fame, you know, people, coaches, GM, I mean, Lou's still doing it, right. Still having success. They've been around almost half a century and you went there at crazy. the sweet spot of the bat. Like it's just crazy. wild when you think about it. Uh-huh. And how, how did the young and the restless happen? That was the soap, right? That was the soap yeah. you were on how did that i can yeah. see how you would find yourself in those circles and you're a good looking dude so it didn't surprise me one bit but there's got to be a story there and you told well, me i just forget it's really it was really simple um 
you know, playing in that market in New Jersey and New York, we were young guys. I think Scotty Gomez had just, it was his rookie year there. And um, it was a summertime and we were just getting opportunities. I mean, opportunities wouldn't get in Columbus or, you know yeah, what I mean? In yeah. Phoenix. I mean, so they said, Hey, we, we need a couple hockey players to uh, kind of play themselves. And um, they sent like a email to the team and then the team, it was in the summer. If it was during the season, I don't think they ever would have let me, but um, because it was off season, they said, Hey, does this interest you? And you know, <laughs> Hey man, I'm from, I'm from fishing Lake Alberta. I'm like, of course that interests me. And so it was like a little spot. Gomez was on there. Jeremy Roenick, I think was on there as well. And a couple other guys. I can't remember. Maybe Rick Tockett. I can't remember, but so no no that was wild i uh, i burst out laughing i can't remember exactly where i was but i remember the whole scene uh, back when you had to like tune in at the time um <laughs> you know what i mean one of the reasons i got traded from i love that stuff right i love being a hockey player uh, you know that was my job and 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 that's that's what i loved but man i loved all the other stuff that that came with it i love that you know you would go for dinner and people be like, Oh man, come and sit at this table. Or we're going to send you a couple free drinks and um, opportunities like that. And, and going to movie premieres and, you know, trying to get set up with actresses who, I, you know, they're not, they're not, uh, you know, knocking my door down because they're I'm not approachable you know, normally. Yeah. You, you, yeah they would never come and look at me. Yeah. Right. But you, you're playing hockey. I was playing in that market and some opportunities came longer. I'm like, Oh, this is, <laughs> this is this is yes. the nhl this is what everyone does um so i, I kind of like that i had fun doing it lou not so much you didn't encourage that so much <laughs> do you still do any modeling or anything hmm. i don't dude i'm almost i'll be 45 in a month that uh, yeah but for a 45 year old there's people of all ages right i mean you look as good as you've looked and you must feel as good as you've felt um but I'll save that. Go to Montreal. And by the way, before we continue, I'll, I'll, I, I, I don't know if I've ever said it, but I do appreciate my first NHL game was while in the middle of this whole story or series of stories was when you were in Albany and you drove up to the game the night you had a game the next night and you were Eric Bertrand drove up to see my first game against Philadelphia. And I really appreciate that. Always have. And you didn't need to do that. Um, but then ironically, you get it. And by the way, I love my time in Montreal. I didn't get along with Michelle Terry. And at this time, it's, it's, it's more public than it's been, but I don't hold it against them. None of that. Like, I should have gone back to camp. I didn't. And then I got hurt. Unfortunate. But I don't ever I don't know if I've talked about it with you because a lot of people assume the opposite. But I loved my time there. The organization were great to me. I have nothing bad to say. Shit happens. But uh, you end up going over there and you're with some of my buddies now um, <clears throat> after I move on. And you had some big-time highlights. You had a six-point game, um, which I didn't realize till I looked today. Um, but you had 19 power play goals, which set an NHL record. And you opened a restaurant. I keep forgetting about this. Was, did you open that while you were there? And you, you opened it with Marty Berder, right? So did you, when you say you, you enjoyed that, you're going from New York and you're coming over, and if, if I know anything about Montreal, it's that the restaurant scene is the fucking movie premiere scene. It's the best. It's, right? the it's, best. it's, it's just yeah. the best. So what and kind particularly of, in Montreal, particularly. 
Yeah, and that's it. it's just oh. phenomenal. I still go back, right? It, it, that's why yeah. if they if they start winning or in the playoffs, like I go up, I use the alumni room like my shed. Yeah, <laughs> eight <laughs> games. Oh yeah, guys are in there. They're all Hall of Famers too. Shaking it's, hands with the oh, flowers. Oh yes, and hey, boys. Remember the old days? I'm like, you know, for a few years I didn't, and then said, why am I not taking advantage of this? Right? When you just go back to being a hockey dude. fan, it's just like, why not? You know, everybody. Of I'm, course. I'm yeah. So. But anyway, so you when did you get into the restaurant business there? Was that right off the hop or had you played there a little bit? No, I'd been there for a couple of years. And, um, you know, it, it, so saying that I liked the off-ice stuff in New York was, was fun. It was like kind of sexy and whatever. When I got traded to Montreal and you know it. Oh, oh, and by the way, dude, I was so proud of you when you played your first game. I mean, we were like... Uh, <laughs> three four years is like kind of brothers by that point up yeah. to Quinell, a lot had, to a lot had happened right a lot, a lot of stuff had happened and uh so i was so proud to go up there and, and see a play and uh man you're playing your first nhl game and that was a massive deal and so i'm really glad that i was there for that and, um and then you know how it is when you put on the canadians jersey when i got traded there i'm like oh wow i'm going to a place that's like it's not hiding under the radar anymore, nor did I want to. I kind of wanted to be under the radar when I was in New York. I want to do the off-ice stuff. I wanted to play. Um, but when I got traded to Montreal, it, it kind of like a, a, a switch kind of flipped in me. And it was like, okay, man, you know, you've, you've kind of, and I kind of got traded for burning the candle at both ends and, uh, you know, wasn't playing my heart out because I hated the coach and it just some stuff that they won the Stanley cup that year. Right. I got traded at a, another inopportune time. And yeah. anyways, I knew that um, some things were going to change uh, as far as the game and my dedication to it. And dude, and then I got an opportunity. I wasn't playing behind Scott Niedermeyer and, and Scott Stevens. I mean, I, there was an opportunity for me to. Did to, they know that when they play. traded for you? Because again, other than little spurts, like when you went to, Kelowna and then Prince George because even Tri-City you were you were there but I don't know if they were using you like they could have on the mm -hmm. point there with mm -hmm. that cannon that middleman like you drag yeah. it into the middle and then because all you needed to do was get it on net and something would happen especially in the age of the WHL where it was a whole lot of net front if you don't get a goal you're getting an assist <clears throat> by slapping it on net um, but I always looked at it at that particular time one pieces came in did your shot go from like real hard to unstoppable and they they noticed that or when you were traded from jersey where montreal have in their head you know what i think he can quarterback our power play well I, what i think happened was when i was in new jersey jacques lemaire sat me out one day and i've, I've just had the best game of my life second star madison square garden against the rangers and um i got called into his office the next day we we're playing back to back against the rangers home and home and, uh, you know, I literally thought he was calling me in for the morning skate to say, you know, you're going to wear an A tonight, you know, get ready. You're going to play. Right. And, uh, and he said, I wasn't playing that night. Jacques Ramirez said, you're not playing tonight. So what do you mean? I'm not playing tonight. And he said, you're not playing tonight. And, uh, you want to know why I go, what's going on? And he said, uh, cause you can do more, you know, you have the ability to do what you did last night. You have to do it. I want you to watch the game. And, um, and take notes. And he gave me a little thing to, to, of a stats thing. He wanted me to take hits or block shots. And he's like, you can do a lot more. 
He goes, and then you're going to be a bigger part of the team. And I was like, wow, you know, um, it kind of blew my mind. So they seen something. I remember I hit Marty Brodeur one morning in morning skate in the mask, and I didn't play that night. <laughs> they sat me out that night. They're like, no, 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 that's not the way it works. I swear to God. <laughs> uh, Robbie Fatorik. And so I, I knew I had it in there somewhere. And when I went to Montreal, I got hurt um, my second season there, maybe, and I broke my hand. I just had my first child. Um and now I break my wrist and they say, you might not be, your career is in jeopardy. And I'm like, fuck, man, I just got married. Uh, I just had a baby. And now maybe my career is over. I knew it wasn't. I just knew it couldn't be the end, right? And I remember sitting in the press box one night in Montreal and there was a couple scouts that were, that didn't even know who I was. And they're, they're sitting there and they're watching the game. And we didn't have a very strong team. There was, those years were kind of lean and, I remember these scouts were sitting there talking to each other and one of them said, you know what they need? They need like a big, heavy presence on the back end. They need a guy who can run the power play and shoot the puck. He goes, that's what they're missing. And I just overheard that. And I was like, why am I, why am I not that guy? Right. Why, why is that? That sounds exactly like something I can do. Yeah. They're not asking me to, you know, saucer the puck across the or rush it end to end they're saying shoot the puck hard and be a, a heavy presence so that overhearing that in the press box changed my whole career i i, I kind of went home and i'm like okay this is going to work out you know that it's not the end of the road for me and i do have a lot more to give and so if i get the opportunity to do that um that's the kind of player i want to be and you know me i didn't love fighting you know, I, I wasn't ever going to hang in there with the toughest guys in the league. I mean, I wasn't well, too you, scared of things. You could. You 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 were, you were a team fighter. You were, like Chris Nyland would say, you were a defender. Like you you weren't going to back down, but you you weren't out there starting it for no reason. You know, there was all kinds yeah. of people your size at the time that were doing that. But if the game started and you were in a fight, there was there was always a reason whether the, someone got hit or or like Myers. He's intimidating the whole team. Someone has to do it, and I'm just going to do it and yeah. get it over with. That that's my memory of you. Yeah, and I think you're the same way. Like we like sticking yeah. up for our for for people who you know found that to be very challenging. Anyways, um, you, you know, scoring goals on the power play sounded a lot better to me than having to go and you know fight Dan Cordick. You know what I mean? It just sounded better to me, or Joey Kosher, or or Ty Domi um kudos to you for doing it but that wasn't like other things sounded better and so for me you know I, I worked um I started to work harder I started to be more committed to uh my profession and then I got an opportunity you know Claude Julian and um oh, what was our assistant coach's name anyways uh man I really liked him they said, okay, we had a bunch of injuries. I wasn't the first guy on the list. Like, oh, yeah, you know, we had a bunch of guys injured and the opportunity presented itself. Wow. And, and the rest, the rest kind of took over from there. But it wasn't like they seen, it wasn't some like diamond in the rough that they, I think they seen that happening because I didn't see that happening. I just knew that I, I could, I could be a better player than I had been up to that point. That must have been, uh, even looking back. And, and knowing you and having all the confidence and all the, that's almost surreal to me that all, you know, you went and, and not that you had success, but Doug Harvey is the only guy with more 28. 
right? And you look back at how long that franchise has been around and how hard it is to have success as a franchise. Ask the Leafs. They've never won more than two playoff rounds and they're gone again. And, you know, you, with all those years of Canadian success and, you know, to, to have that feather in the hat and the most power play goals, you know, to, to, to tell the story you're telling and to go, you know, well, maybe the opportunity will present itself. It normally does for someone coming out of junior that, you you know, like a PK Subban or whoever it might be. It, it's, it's that's on the radar. But the way you went about it, I look back and it just like the only word I can think of is surreal. Again, not that you played and you were successful, but you got the opportunity. You become an NHL All-Star. How is that? How's the vibe on NHL All-Star weekend? It must be great, is it? Um, as I think opposed it's for to, me. I mean, there must be a bit of tension with some players, but do they, does that all go out the window? Is it like junior? Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, it was exciting for me the first year. You know, I was in Minnesota and – holy shit, I'm, you know, I made the all-star team. That was, that was like, that was not even something I ever dreamed of. You know, you dream of scoring the overtime goal in the Stanley cup final, but I never dreamed of playing in all-star games. I mean, you and I played in one in, in juniors and I'm like, I'm going to, and we enjoyed a, a couple nights in, in Prince George that time because I'm like, this is the only time this will ever happen in my life. And, um, so for me, it was, it was really exciting. You know, I got to go represent the Canadians and for other guys though, like Mark Messier was our captain Jaeger. Uh, I don't think they were too thrilled to go to their, you know, 17th, 18th all-star game in Minnesota. Right. I didn't even, I didn't even know Messier and Jaeger were on my team. I swear to God until the team picture and they showed up because they were at no events at all. Like, you know, oh, yeah, they have yeah, a whole schedule. Then, I had to go visit schools and I had to go to this hospital and I got to do this and I got to do that. And your whole weekend's kind of mapped out for you. And, um, you know, the morning of, I think the game, we had the team picture and I'm like, Oh man, there's Mark Messier. <laughs> Where's he been for the last three days? <laughs> That's great. How did you must've known you had a shot at the hardest. You, you had a chance to win the hardest shot, though, because you're getting clocked at your home teams. So you were shooting it over 100. Was that in, on the radar, or, or do you even care when you're going to that? I mean, I, I think it, anything else, it wouldn't be on the radar. But if I knew that, hey, I'm, I'm just looking at this, and I'm looking at everybody else's, and if I hit the puck where I should, like it's not like, can I score on yeah. on a breakaway? Yeah, you know? exactly. It's not the relay race. It's, uh, yeah. it's something super... It, you know, it's very mindless. And so, yeah, I thought I did have a shot at it. And, um, you know, I wanted to do well in that. I mean, Al McKinnis and Al, in particular, Ally Afraidy was like my, you know, I, yeah. I remember watching the All-Star games to just see that guy come out there and shoot the puck. He was a, it was a, a kind of a cool event. Um, so I was hoping, you know, I was hoping that I, that I wouldn't embarrass myself in there. Dude, really, to be honest with you, that, the first one that I went to, I just soaked it all up. You know, I had my family there. I had friends, my aunts, my uncles. And it was like, man, where did NHL all-star game, you know? And um, everything else was kind of great. I didn't, I wasn't like, oh, I want to win this. It was like, oh, I'm going to get in it. And I, I'm in it, so I have a chance. Because um, I was shooting the puck pretty good that year. Yeah, pretty good is an understatement. Um, and I'm, I've already already kept you an hour. I won't keep you much longer. But I'll fast forward through. I just want to go at, at, at the, you know, the latter part of your career and we don't have to focus on your fucking injury you get asked that enough you went home to play with the oilers for uh, a stint and uh you know you you gave it everything you had you got injured that's unfortunate unless you want to talk about it i want to ask you about sweden what i, I need to ask why the team that you picked during the lockout 
And I looked at the stats today because there's a few fights online, but how did you get 117 penalty minutes in 39 <laughs> games played? That's Western League uh, 90s numbers in Sweden. Well, I saw a couple the, fights now. You were throw, but were people coming at you? Chara was on my team, so they weren't coming at him. Wow. Uh, so I was like next in line. Kelly Chase has a funny line. He said when he played with uh, Tony Twist, it used to be called the race for Chase. So every tough guy would want to go fight Chaser before Twister got a hold of him. And uh, mm. similar with me in, in Sweden, nobody was going after Big Z. Um, I picked that team because they paid the most. And I was going to go to Russia and play that year. And then about two weeks before I was going to Russia, they had um, they had taken over a school and there was, you know, they killed a bunch of kids and stuff. And so my wife at the time was like, well, we're and had a, a baby. She's like, well, we're not going to Russia. Um, so I called my agent. I said, Hey, I, I want to go play. Where can I play? And he said, okay, this is the team that will pay you. you can, there's a couple other teams you can go to for, you know, less money, but this team will pay you the most money. And, um, Hawk and Lube was the GM. So I knew he was an NHL, had NHL experience. And then I knew Chara was going there and it just, it, it sounded like a really good fit. And, you know, I wasn't looking to go over there and party and, and be all wild. I was looking for my family, uh, meaning my wife to come over at that time and, and feel like they weren't too far removed from, you know, California. So that's, that's what kind of went into it. And then the game was, you know, you go and try to play an NHL style game over there. It's like someone would fall in front of the net and it'd be a penalty. And then I'd, you know, tell the ref to fuck off and he couldn't speak English. And then it's a 10 minute misconduct. And it was like, and the two cultures were different. Cause I saw a couple highlights online and like a guy would go and jab for the puck to the goalie, you know, and, and like now, even now it's turned in the NHL that you often can do that and no one does anything. But at the time, if there was one golden rule, it's like, yeah, don't hit a don't guy, touch the goalie. You know, yeah, yeah, don't hit a guy when he's down and don't fucking go anywhere near the goalie. And, yeah. you know, and you and Chara are being paid money to, to, in one league to make yeah. sure that that doesn't happen. And then you're looking at it. But I, you know what? I liked it over there. I went over two summers in a row because Montreal would give me money. He treated us great, like I said. Me and Brad Brown and Tux was there and a few more, but Brad Brownie and I chose that they'd give us money. If we could sell them on somewhere to train in the world, they would fund it. So we went to Vasteris, Sweden. We trained with, it was Nicholas Lidstrom's hometown. Tommy Salo oh. had to go then and Peter Popovich. So we went there for the summer, Brownie and I. We were down like three a days. Like I couldn't believe it. There's two a days, then there's three a days. There's go back in the middle of the two a day for uh, hurdles and plyometrics. And I mean, it'd be a lot even for yeah. now. But yes, we kind of needed it. And there was no one, we both needed to work on skating. That's why we picked there and not brainerd again you know whatever right right but um it was i remember just wow i, I couldn't believe how different it was with the, the ice was big there's big and then there's huge and then you know no one was dumping the puck in they weren't even they weren't playing the game that we were drafted no, no. to play like uh, they were just circling different. back right circling back so all of a sudden like you wonder how koivu and them end up playing like they do which is good i mean you know i'm just saying you know, over there, I could totally see it. I'm like, oh, I mean, the game is totally different. The, the grassroots level is completely different over here. There's good, the bad, and the ugly. And I think now it all meets in the middle. Um, the What I will ask about uh, the, uh, Edmonton and, and going there and everything is that 
in a battle of wits is all I can assume in 2010, 11, you go and play the full year in Hershey. So there's a couple things that stand out to me there. You played the full year in Hershey. So you certainly no one can question your willingness to play. And you were just coming off of an injury that would have really kept a lot of people at that point in their career down and out. You play and then you come back in 11, 12, to play in Dallas, 12-13 in Anaheim with pretty good years. So in Hershey, your eyes must have been on the prize. Like you, you must, you, you, it must have gave you satisfaction to come back up because why would you go down there and play a full year? I guess you're getting, being paid to do it, but you could have bailed and still gotten paid. Yeah, well, you know, I, I got in a fight with the Oilers management, uh, you know, very complicated but i had gotten hurt they thought i was faking an injury i'm in the icu they're going to cut my hand off because i got such a bad infection i was out there during that time i remember going out for dinner with you i remember the yeah we that's yeah. right yeah you were playing in bentley i think in bentley, yeah, you and, came to a couple yeah. games and i yeah i remember experiencing yeah. a lot of that with you kind of thing go ahead <clears throat> so that was that was just a shitty thing because you know i, I really i was hoping that edmonton would have worked out um just because everyone in my family was so proud of me, right. Mm -hmm. To be uh, here, Sheldon, but he's on the Oilers, not the Canadians. He's the Oilers. And then I had a really good year there, made the all-star team again when I played in Edmonton for uh, Montreal. And so that was, that was awesome. And then I got hurt. And then I have this little, you know, thing with management. Well, that year they said, you're, you're not even invited to training camp. And I said, okay. And so, then they sent me down and they said, well, we're not even sending you to our team, which was, I think, Oklahoma or something. We're, we're going to lend you another organization. We don't want you to be, you know, a bad influence. I said, okay. So I knew I wasn't getting sent down because my skills weren't, you know, I wasn't able to be an NHL player. I was just in a, you know, a fuck you match with management. And um, I still had a couple years left on my contract. Uh, I was making big money and I wasn't going to quit. So I went down there and, you know, first couple of games I had guys, you know, oh, you must running, have. trying to take, it was like, it was crazy. So finally the third game, I'm like, this is ridiculous. And, and so I mopped some kid up and I broke my hand on his head. And, um, that was it. That that's the year in a nutshell, right? Third game, I break my hand, then I'm out for 10 weeks. And then the next game or a couple of games, I come in and some guy comes sliding across the front of the net and takes my knee out, sprained my MC. And so that's the kind of year I had in Hershey. And, um, you know, I wasn't above going down. There's actually some great guy. You know, you played in the minors. Uh, there's played in Hershey. guys down there. Yeah. I was Hershey. in Hershey for a few months. Uh, Shakey's. We used to go to Shakey's. I don't know that's if right. we went to that place. Yeah. Yeah. Of course we went to Shakey's. But, you know, Hershey was probably, you played in the new arena, right? Uh, no, I played in the old one. I played in the new the one, one coming back the next season. Uh, but, year that I played there was in the, in the old, the old well, the, the new arena was like an NHL arena. Yeah. And so we got treated. It wasn't like much of a step down. Like you go to Binghamton or Rochester. It's like, Oh shit. You know, I'm in the minors. We didn't really feel like that in Hershey and they treated me great. The coaches asked me how much I wanted to play. And then I got hurt. And so my eyes was always to be back in the NHL. I just knew that year was a wash. And, um, thankfully the Oilers bought me out that year and, you know, the, the, the first hour of free agency, I talked to Joe Newendike from the stars and he said, is your, is your heart still in it? And I said, why don't you sign me and find out? Beauty. And so, uh, he took a chance on me. I love Joe. I love playing in Dallas. We had a really, really great group of guys. We ended up missing the playoffs. Uh, the last game we played, we lost. 
and um, someone else won. And so they were going to make changes. The organization was going through changes. So anyways, the opportunity came for me to sign in Anaheim and be close to my kids. And, uh, you know, I had a house in California and it just, it just was a really good fit. And then we had the lockout at the beginning of that year. And so that burned a half a year. And then we came back and I had a good season that year. And in the playoffs, I uh, broke my wrist again and uh, was just kind of rehabbed it during, during summer. And then I was throwing a medicine ball training to go back for the, for the next season, uh, which would have been the second year of my, my three-year contract. And I just felt my wrist completely give away. And I broke and I, and I tore all the tendons and stuff. Are you, wearing, so I, are I you wearing wrist guards during this whole time? Or why did you keep curtain your wrists? I can see why, because there's so much force behind each time you're shooting it and each time you're cross-checking in front of the net. And, and so they're used a lot in there. But, but did you take precautions? Were you protected? I, I, I did. So when I broke, I, it was my left wrist I hurt in Montreal. And then I kept having problems I had five surgeries on my left wrist and so I wore a guard for that and then when I was playing in Edmonton um, I got in a fight with the Ginlin I broke my I had a boxer's fracture which should have been pretty routine I mean I'm sure you've done it. it's not like a big injury but they put a couple pins in and those pins got infected and so I got a, a, a blood and a bone infection MRSA and so that's when I was in the hospital and they're talking about cutting my hand off and the Oilers, uh, you know, thought I was, I was faking an injury. Actually, I was having reporters calling me and saying, Hey, how bad's the injury? I hear it's not that bad. You just don't want to play. You're waiting to get traded. I fucking lost my mind. I was like, and, you know, so I picked up the phone and I called everyone in the organization who, who I thought needed to hear what needed to be said for me. And, um, and so that, that kind of, you know, <laughs> looking back, I probably could have handled that better, but Hey, you know, it, it was, uh, it was what happened at the time. And so, yeah, man, I, I don't know. Why do injuries happen? You know, I, it's just one of those things where it, it I, I was injury prone. I had a lot of injuries. Some guys, you know, Patrick Marlowe goes through what, 20 years, 20 plus years and never has an injury. Right. And you or I, it's like, fucking, it's, you know, incredible. It, I, it just, I had a high ankle sprain and I didn't let it, uh, I didn't let it heal, but it, it happens so much. The game, just think about, man, we, we, we got a weapon in our hands. There's no out of bounds. You know, you're, you're skating, you're going fast. You're there, there, you know, there, there's an acceptable level of people say now, you know, there's no fighting. There's, there's still lots of fighting. There, there's like 300 to 400 fights a year. Like there's a lot of, it's very, very, very physical. So m my question is often more towards people like Merlo or, you know, guys, that I know that have even a, a Teddy Purcell or some, you know, personally, you know, uh, buddies, uh, Ryan Chloe, you know, the injury bug got him, one of my favorites. And, and you know, to, to, to escape that with, say, a thousand games played is so impressive to me because of the sport that we play. And I don't think a lot of people mention that enough. Guys that like Tom Fitzgerald, you know, 20 years ago, whatever, for the league, guys like that, that get a thousand games played, man, that is something to be said because the sport is a tough sport you know football football whatever 20 games a year if you win the super bowl <laughs> more than that an exhibition in hockey for fuck's sakes um okay so you end up in anaheim is that the reason that you stayed i know it's a, you, you, again i'm guessing the injury is the big reason that you you know you, you played whatever more than half a season but shortened i'm guessing the injury and 
you must have enjoyed it there. Was that why you stayed in California? Uh, so when I signed there or after I got, no. Well, outside I, of relationships, I, I know you met people there, in the, but, but I mean, you signed in Anaheim. Were you looking to, uh, to make that a platform to stay in California? I'm only asking, yeah. I guess, because of the, the yeah. obvious that I know, you, you know, you like the, the, the New York, you know, state of mind, for lack of a better way to put it. Well, I, I know that, you know, you thrive in California. I know you're, you know, and, and, and a lot, a lot of things are there that you enjoy. So were you thinking future when you were there or did Anaheim just give you the best deal? No, I, actually I got um, two better offers than the one I took. Uh, Anaheim was closest to home. Um, you know, since 2000, I've been, I've been a resident of, of California in the summers, you know, a homeowner there since I don't know, 2004, 2005, something like that. Um, I still had a house in Malibu when I signed. Didn't in Anaheim, realize so all that. So did yeah, you? So did you used to go to those back. camps that IMG had us go to in LA? So that was a little. The answer is yes, but with a, a different group. So a lot of NHL guys, you know, when you would do the IMG camps, that kind of that kind of um, evolved into like a lot of NHL guys would come for the summers and, and skate with uh, or work out with TR, and then you know Chelios and Rob Blake and those guys were. Yeah, I remember seeing Blake at a bar of Harry O's. Like, I don't know what right. brought everybody there, but I went out there with my gear and I skated a few times, and we went through these workout programs. There was, I, you know. It's foggy to me, but I mean, it was L.A. I remember it all. But those guys were there. Remember Brian Barrard? Cleary was there. Anyway. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so you. So gonna... well. So so yeah. So um, I used to skate there in the summers, and um, as more NHL guys were there, and you know, let's say you were in, I don't know, use Edmonton as an example. You know, two weeks before training camp, you'd kind of go get two weeks of sunshine in L.A., and then you'd go to your training camp, wherever that might be. So. You know, as more guys were coming in in the summers, it was easier to kind of lock down California as my home. My kids were there. Um, and so California was like an obvious place to hang my hat. So when Anaheim came up, um, it seemed to to kind of fit perfectly. And, you know, then it was just a half a year and then I got injured. And then that summer I tore my wrist and, you know, that surgery kind of ended things for me. But, um, you know, I would have I would have loved to have been able to, to, um, give a little more of that contract back to him because, you know, I was kind of, I was happy to be in Anaheim. Uh, yeah, no doubt. Um, so the transition you've gone on record from hockey was a little tough as it is for a lot of people. Um, I found it extremely tough. Now you've been three and a half years sober. I'm guessing, right. Am, am I, am I right there? Three yeah. and a half. So, yeah. And, and, you, and you're in Vegas, which seems like an oxymoron in itself, metaphorically. Um, but, I mean, and that doesn't surprise me, though, because you were always, I, I don't think, you know, you're not the type of guy that, we, we all have weaknesses. I, I get the substance abuse, no matter what route that was. I totally understand it. There's a lot of things going on. But I bet you're, you know, real happy now. Um, why you pick Vegas in the midst of all that would be like <clears throat> tempting a, a lion with a steak every single day, the way I see it. But maybe not, um, because you seem happier than you've been. Uh, I'm just going by the odd text and Instagram. You seem vibrant. Uh, you seem excited for this uh, part of your life. And not to say that you never were, but I just, you know, 
haven't always noticed it like now. So, you know, how, how has sobriety been and what are your plans for the near future? Uh, my sobriety has been great. You know, I haven't, well, I guess I'd be coming up on about four years of uh, no alcohol. I'll be coming up on another year. I had a couple years sober. Now I'm coming up on another year um, being sober. You know, COVID was a, a it, it, look, it's, it's a tough, um, I feel better than I had. My life is better than it's ever been. I, I can say that. Um, I got friends like Brant, who I, I look up to in, and you've read his book. And yeah, I loved you know, it, by the way. You've got to book yourself. I loved his book. <laughs> it's intense. And, yeah. um, you know, so- sobriety is the greatest gift. My fiance is sober. I met her in my first treatment. We were both, um, I was in a relationship and she was in a relationship at the time. And, um, as soon as we got out of treatment, one of the people, one of the young kids we were in treatment with had passed away, overdosed. And so we just kind of, uh, stayed in touch with, um, Hey man, did you hear about this guy doing, or have you heard about, so we were, my fiance now is she'll be four years, uh, continuous sobriety coming up. And she, so we got kind of sober at the same time, um, we both, my first treatment, I came out and just like my, I relapsed right away. I'm like, this is stupid. You know, I'm the boss of me. Right. And and so, um, my second treatment, when I came out, my, my now fiance Tess, um, called me like literally the first day I got out and she's like, Hey, we're going to a meeting tonight. And, um, and that's what we're doing. And so we've kind of been on this journey together and my life is, is better than ever. I mean, there's ups and downs COVID. I, I, I got some very bad anxiety attacks about a year ago. Mm. And I felt like I knew how I could, um, the, the easiest solution to fix that would be, you know, doing what I normally do to medicate myself. And it gave me more anxiety and depression. And so I just, you know, I went to see a doctor and I'm like, Hey, this is what's happening. And, and so now it's going to be a year again in a month. Um, it's, you know, I, I love talking about sobriety because I never thought, you know, my dad was an alcoholic and was sober for 21 years. Mm. It runs deep in my family. It runs deep in my community. Uh, it runs deep in our profession. Mm. Uh, some guys aren't lucky enough. It's an to easy, che- it's an easy profession it. for it to go unchecked though. That's the thing. It, it does run deep. Especially when you retire. Yeah. When you retire, there's no, there ain't no meetings. There ain't no coach looking in your eyes to see what, you know, where you were the night before. Um, the life is good. It's what we it's summertime, but all the time. And I had an injury going out. It was an easy excuse. Like I wasn't, you know, I was a, a drinker. I love to have fun with the guys. Um, I love to be a part of the team. Drinking was never going to, you know, a, a difference between when I read Brandt's book and talk to him about his experiences, like, the paychecks were never, the drinking was never going to uh, seduce yeah. me from those paychecks. It just wasn't right. But when I retired, uh, it was a, just a really lonely, you know, mm-hmm. I'm not telling you anything you don't know, because I'm sure you went through the exact same. What's your identity? You know, uh, loneliness. Oh man, I wish I would, you know, you look back on like a bunch of, I wish I would have, I, you know, I, if only, and it's like, I have everything in the world you can want. And I was so friggin' um depressed and, and, and lonely it's years when I... of oh sorry 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 
Yeah, no. I just identified. I was going to say it, it's years of of suppressing those feelings because, like, I remember. Now it's just it's if there's one thing that's great because there's a lot that's not, but it, one thing's great about social media is you know this awareness of mental health. Like I remember there was a guy in Montreal, a sports psychologist, Wayne Howell. I don't know if he was there when you were, and he was great. And I was so embarrassed to let right. anybody know. Talk, here I, I know. Here I was a first round pick. I know. In, in Montreal, going through a concussion for one uh, all of one year, afraid to tell anybody. You know, going home and like not. Even myself, like if I was to cry at home or something, like I would feel guilty. Like I wouldn't even be able to look myself in the it's, mirror. It's, I, was I know it's a sign of weakness for us. It's a sign of weakness yeah. when it's just like, yeah, it, it helps so much, right? Like especially in the role that that you or or Brant or I played. Like you never went into the rink in the morning when you're playing the Toronto Maple Leafs on Hockey Night in Canada, and and Bob Ganey come in and go, Sheldon, how you doing today? Oh, Bob, I'm kind of sad. You know, I'm, I'm kind of depressed today. It's like, I'm fucking awesome. I yeah. can't wait to get out there tonight and, uh, you know, really show these guys who's boss. It's like, it's you so... tuck it away. You tuck it away under yeah. your pillow and you, you it's that pregame nap because you're alone away. and it creeps into your mind. Yeah. And then and then you tuck it Nervousness, away Nervousness, <laughs> anxiety. Then after the game, you have a couple drinks or, you know, a sleeper to go to bed. And it's just anyways. Um, I, I, I love talking about sobriety because I never thought that it would pertain to me and uh, you there yeah yeah sorry buddy um so i never thought it pertained to me and the other thing is i really um i'm really proud of of like being able to make a change like anyone who's who has been in sobriety look we've lost a lot of guys right we've lost guys we played with and, yeah, and friends of ours to, to this disease I mean, an alarming you know, amount I, I know we feel old but we're still fairly young people and an alarming amount of people we've lost man young people yeah. you know because this is so overwhelming and uh you know uh, I, i'm just i'm really thankful for the place i'm at i'm thankful for the people i've met along like look Hockey was a part of my life, right? It's a huge part. It's mostly what we've been talking about here today. It's it's what's allowed me to have a house and and to have cars and and you know um, to be able to continue to live a lifestyle that that I I feel comfortable with. Um, but dude, you know, in the last four years, I mean, my life was really when I retired for about three or four years, my life was bad. It was dark and it was bad, and people were worried about me. And, you know, in the last four years, it, it's changed and I've changed and I've been able to like, just talk about what we just talked about. Like, you know, not, not, um, not having to put on this, like tough guy suit of armor. Yeah. yeah. This suit of armor, like, man, fucking everything's good. And I'm, it's like, man, I can, I can just kind of say the truth and, um, I can say it to people that I trust Brant being, he's like my brother. He's not even, you know, my best. He's my brother. And if I'm going through something, at least this has allowed me to have the awareness to, uh, to talk about it instead of like, I'm going to fix everything. I got it. I, you know, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. that's gotten me in trouble before. Right. So I don't worry, worry about yourself. Um, and so it's just given me awareness to like, you know, to be a better dad, to be a, you know, a, a better in relationships, to be a better worker. Um, so man, I, I'm, I, thanks for asking, but yeah, my, uh, it hasn't been all, you know, uh, roses and, 
in, in good times. There's been some challenges and some hiccups, but you know, just, uh, just keep going. And, you know, I'm, I'm one of the lucky ones who gets to talk to you about it and not, not be a, you know, not, not have you talking about this with someone else with a tear in your eye, right. About what could have been or how sad that was. It's like, you know, trying to make of a course. change in my life that, that be, be your you guy, know. just like when Lula Morello gave you that news, and when you, when you turn the key, you turn it. Now it helps that you've got what sounds like a soulmate doing it with you. Uh, okay. We're almost done some rapid fire randoms. Is this all right? Do you have, uh, do you have another 10 minutes in you? Anything it won't bother you then until I do another podcast in three years from now. Uh, <laughs> meaning, <laughs> I remember I interviewed you a few years ago, but that was with a couple of buddies. That was a different uh, situation. <clears throat> yeah, that wasn't a very good one. This is better. <laughs> good, good. Selfish fuck. Uh, okay, some rapid fire randoms. Here we go. If you could have a superpower, what would it be? Um, a superpower would be the invisible. Great. Mine is, I can't decide whether that Keeping or flying, calm. but being invisible would have oh, yeah. advantages. Flying's pretty good, but flying it would, would be, be a pretty nice. good peeping Tom if you're invisible. But I feel like, I feel closer to knowing how it is to fly. I have no idea what it's been like to be invisible, but I've been stoned. Uh... How often did you hit Disney World when you played out there, <clears throat> or Disneyland? Which one? I forget. When you were exactly, hit- like no, like did, would, okay, you didn't go there at all. Never. I love that. I went there with Chris Murray, my first game ever in Anaheim. And when I signed yeah. in Orlando, we lived in Kissimmee, and I was there almost every day. I loved <laughs> the whole idea of it. Oh <laughs> you, man! You- I took my kids once. But that's not even when I played there. That was like before I, I played there. And yeah, I that's the not my Universal Studios too. I just loved it. Oh my goodness! Something You're about a good a fantasy in my mind. Yeah. Uh, if you had to lose a hand or a foot, which one would it be? And not a like right right foot or left hand or what? Um, I would. Um, you know what? Probably a foot. Yeah, my hands, man, you know, you can do a lot with the hands. With a foot, you can get a prosthetic foot, and you can still, like... I think so, too. I said I think you still manage. And I thought about it. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think, think you, you can manage too. without a foot. Yeah. Good answer. Would you go into space if given the opportunity? Yeah. Nice. You didn't even have to think about that much. So heights aren't... Heights are a factor for me, but I think when you get to a certain point... You know, like when I'm in a plane, I'm, I'm not really worried anymore. Like I am six feet up on a ladder. It's really weird. Right. <clears throat> I mean, I don't love it, but I'd rather not be in an elevator in the CN Tower, for example. Why? What, what would you do in space? Why, why, why would... I think height... I why think, is that a question? Because I think it's something that people say they would want to do, but I really don't think they actually would. Like, I think it would be a big step. You actually want to do it? I think a lot of people, okay, like okay, you say that that might look good looking down, but the, the, the point of being in space gives some d- disconnection from Earth, and I think it might get it'll get either really spiritual or go the other way. And I, I'm not sure that everybody could handle it mentally. There's literally, if you landed on the moon, there's literally, what, three people, whoever's in your spacecraft, your space shuttle is on... Yeah. So you're not going to a whole nother community of people. It's like, you're not going to Mexico to meet other people and go swimming. You're like literally in a suit. But like major Tom, 
like Major, Major Chance, Tom, a song by Pete Schilling and David Bowie, Space Odyssey. Um, yeah. Ground Control. So that, you know, Major Trump was an astronaut in orbit. I didn't say anything about the moon. I just might go into space because you put yourself into orbit and he was fixing the um, space station and slipped and was just floating away. They're saying ground control because he's seeing the earth. He's seeing everything. And he's eventually just going to starve to death. Very, very morbid. Ground control to Major Tom. I want to go even less now. Thanks. <laughs> well, that's why I asked, because I said, you know, not that I expected you to know who the fuck Major Tom was. Have you ever milked a cow? Yes. In Fishing Lake? Follow up. I didn't realize you milked yes. a cow. Okay. Yes. Uh, a couple different places. Wow. So you're you're a cow milker. Not only have I you milked a cow. Yeah. I mean, I'm not a hutterite, but I've, you know, I've got my hands on a rudder. <laughs> okay. Hutterite. Nice. Like that blew me away in Alberta. I, I don't have time to get into it. Everybody's wondering. Just <laughs> Google it. Just Google it. Um, if not a hockey player, what you, would you have done? I would have been a, uh, a, a cop or a truck driver. Interesting. Um, so the whole desert island question, but not three discs. You can take three bands' entire catalog, and you're going or band or solo artist, and you're going. But you're on this island for a full year. You're in isolation, but you got three full catalogs. What are the three bands you take? I am taking um, Pearl Jam. Okay, nice. I am taking. Dirk Bentley. Of which I see a guitar behind you. Is that the yeah, side no one? Deal. Yeah, <laughs> side, no, no big deal. And then who's the third one? The third band that I would take their whole catalog would be. Um, on an island, I could probably jam to like Jack Johnson. Okay, I guess. You, wow, you're the first one. To take setting into account, he's not my favorite. He's not my favorite. Not he's that not, I asked that every time. If we're but, mm, mm. you know a little country, and then you, you got a little Pearl Jam to get you know for go for a swim or, or run around the island. And Jack by Johnson, the way, we'll sit around the fire. By the way, Pearl Jam. You know what? You know what we don't talk about, and a lot of people don't talk about. Like we played outside Seattle in Washington State during the grunge movement. Great. It's almost wild. Like we were turning on the radio and hearing No Rain say by Blind Man. Like I'm not just saying the major bands like Pearl Jam or Soundgarden or Nirvana. <laughs> I ever heard of them. Like I'm saying like everything we were hearing at first. And at the time, I didn't realize what was happening at a world. It would have been like being in London in 1964 or something. It was like 94. Do you remember my billets? There was a, they had a couple daughters. One uh, drove us to school, the blonde yeah. girl. I can't remember her name, but Courtney. she was like one year, one year older than me. Yeah, Courtney. I think that might've been it. Yeah. Um, I remember sitting downstairs and watching TV with her one time. I think she was 16. So I was 15. She's one or two years older than me. And, um, we were watching MTV, which was the channel back then. You only had a few, right. And, um, Pearl Jam, like was playing on it. And then Nirvana played on it. I think you're right. Blind Melon and then Candlebox. So I, now I know the singer, the buddy of mine in (laughs) LA, Wow, that's Kevin Martin. Um, but yeah, we were, we were in that right there when that was going on yeah like, we were there Crazy. living it. it i just it, it often i look back as a, and i'm a music fan either way but it blows me away because i i certainly didn't realize at the time the impact that was happening 
Uh-huh. I was just like, hey, it's it's on the radio. Uh, do you play an instrument? Bad question, I guess. I'm looking at a guitar behind you. <clears throat> or is that just decoration? A little bit of both. I can play. Uh, I'm, I'm trying at the beginning of uh, quarantine, the beginning of COVID, about a year and a little bit ago, I took some online guitar lessons, but I just don't have, man, these fingers are not, they're not made for playing strings, man. They're just, uh, these are hardworking hands, Terry. <laughs> yeah, they, they didn't get that way from playing the piano, as they like to say in our profession. Do you play video games? No. You should. I'm on my PS4 all the time. It's how I, well, I told oh you. God. It's how I, 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 you're the first person ever. I'm playing a, a hole uh, on the Coeur d'Alene course online. I, I wasn't even thinking it was the rail course. And I go, oh, that, that hole that's out in the water. I'm like, I, I just saw Sheldon in that exact picture in that setting. That's how I realized I connected those dots. Uh, almost done. You've got a time machine that can go anywhere, just not in your past. You're not a part of this. So you can't say like to the day I was born or, you know, to the day I die. Any other time, just for your own personal enjoyment, where do you go and when? I would go back to the community that I'm from and see how my mom grew up. You know, we just had those things just came out in Canada, about the 215 kids who were found. That's all over Canada. That's just one discovery. I think that just reaffirms what a lot of the... um, the native people, the, uh, the elders have long suspected. And uh, I, I think about what my kids have today. I think about what I had when I was a kid or you had when you were a kid, your dad's moving you to from, you know, yeah. literally one tip of the country to the other. So you could play hockey. on a salary too. Yeah. I mean, he's on a teacher. A, yeah. Mom gave up her job. He became a substitute right. teacher. He didn't go out there with, you know, they, they took a hit for two years. You know, and they, they, sacrifice and, and, and they had to rebuild their right. lives. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, I think of like my kids growing up with like Instagram and just how, know. you know, easy their life is easy. I don't think it was like that. I know that it wasn't like that for my grandparents and for my mom. And so I would say that I'd want to go and appreciate her life more than just you know being my mom and thinking that you know life's so good because i'm your son right and uh i I just see all this stuff that's going on some of the things she's done in her life and the community that i'm from where you've been um i think going back to those times and seeing those early days would be would, would give me a much deeper connection to my heritage and to where i'm from that's a great answer. I, last night I went down a rabbit hole. I just couldn't believe it. I always knew the story of the residential schools for, for weird reasons, too. I went through and it, it came up like four or five times on the way to my degree. And it's a lot of people, if they weren't aware they are now, but I watched like five documentaries in a row last night. I couldn't believe it. I didn't actually want to bring it up. You brought, I didn't want to bring up that the injury or the sobriety. And I brought up all of it indirectly. I was like, you know, I'm going to let him off the hook and not just try to ask these pressing questions, trying to get a quote. But, and I know that that could be really for someone with your heritage, that can, that can be a dagger, man. That's a huge party and, and a, a reminder. And, and it's visceral. I looked at the old, I don't know how that was ever passed off as being a good thing. I can't believe it, but, but 
I mean, it happened. So the only thing I can think is that this is raising awareness. And sometimes it's a whole lot of bad before you get to any kind of turning of the page. Hopefully that's where we're at. But, you know, condolences or whatever you say, I don't know how to say it to, to you, your, your family, your mom. I would never be able to have empathy and be able to, to relate and your dad. But, you know, they saw these things. If they didn't see it firsthand, their friends were going through it, whatever it might have been, because it was everywhere. Like you said, it wasn't just yeah. these places that they're making these discoveries. This shit happened everywhere. Um, but, and speaking of your family, I'm going to leave you with this. I always leave with a quote of your dad. I didn't know. I'm like, how, which, which music quote could I come up with for this? But I think it works not only for you, not for you actually, but for your dad and you brought up your family. So here it is. It's from one of my favorite compositions ever, um, in rock and roll. Uh, only the good die young by Billy Joel. They say there's a heaven for those who await. Some say it's better, but I say it ain't. I'd rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints. The sinners are much more fun. Only the good die young. I thought of Richard. He's the first Surrey I ever met. And he, I thought of him as a lovable rebel. That's the best way I can put it. He, he always had that. Like I felt nice. like I was, I was being guided by, because he was, you know, they were father figures at the same time. And I, I, I just always felt protected. And so whatever brought him to that point, I know he likes the odd cigarette. He told me he was an alcoholic. I knew all that stuff like early on, like things that people tiptoe from, you know what I mean? But anyway, yeah, yeah. He, he did mean a lot. And when I did go out to Bentley, when I went out that, to there, I was out there in Alberta. I lived for a couple of years and I didn't want to bother you, especially when you're going through that shit and you had a thing with the Oilers, but he invited me over for Christmas dinner of all the people I know out there. And I'm not putting any of them down. I know a lot of them are listening to this. They probably just didn't think about it, but he knew I was there and he had no Facebook or anything either. He tracked me down from going to a Bentley generals game. Yeah, Right. He, he would have found over, you. And I went over to his place on, uh, and with his family there that he was with at the, at the time, I forget you must've been your, um, I guess half brothers and sisters, whatever it was. And, uh, he was just fantastic. And always kept in touch. Always. So yeah, there you. you go. Only the good die young for Richard, the lovable rebel. Thank you very much for doing this today. It's nice to talk again. Yeah, buddy. I love you. Thanks for having me on, man. And that was a really nice way to end it. Uh, I know he's looking down smiling at this. Fantastic. There's no better way to end it. I love you. I love him. And we'll talk again soon. Good luck. Uh, to yourself. And uh, I heard you and Mizey might be doing one of these. If you, if you are, just a rumbling. I'd love to be yeah. a guest someday. Your guest number one. Okay. See you, buddy. All right, buddy. See you. Okay, folks. It is 12.25 a.m. Um, and I've done this podcast. I was really looking forward to it at three different points during the day. Um, Sheldon and I were trying to work out a time, and he's in Las Vegas. So it's a four and a half hour difference, if you can believe that. Um, well, I guess, of course, you can believe it. That's the way time works. And if you're not a flat earther, geography works. But anyway, yeah, th thanks to Sheldon. I think you can get the sense <laughs> that we go way back and uh, share a lot of great memories. And if the pandemic has taught me anything, it's that I got to go out and visit old friends like that more often because uh, I'm sure we all have a sense of cabin fever, not being able to travel much. 
So with that, ladies and gents, I'm going to go to bed. Um, it's an early rise tomorrow. I got to get up at 5.30 a.m. And uh, But it was totally worth it. I really do. Uh, not enough people say it, and, and uh, I, I really do. You know, I have, I have friends that I love and I'm really close to and that have that have big reasons or a big reason that I am where I am today. And by that, I mean healthy, happy. And I have a, a past full of stories that I can always tell and uh, I'm proud of. And Sheldon is a central figure in that. So Sheldon, thanks very much. I really appreciate it. And uh, I hope to see you soon, buddy. For everybody else, I'm tired. This has been episode 55 of Tales with TR. Talk soon.